0: Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to Six Feet Under—a special Six Feet Under Friends at the Table crossover edition. How about that? Get your feets off the table. That works.
1: It does. That works. So
0: <laughs> since we've already. Uh, told you generally who our guests are, uh, uh, let me, let's just go straight into the introductions. Uh, today we have myself, which is to say Ironicus, and Ix from uh, the Feats crew, and our very special guests from Friends of the Table. Please introduce yourselves as you'd like to be introduced.
2: Uh, hi, my name is Allie.
0: Hello Allie. And uh what do you do and where can people find you doing it?
2: Oh okay, yeah, I should plug myself. I you can find me at uh Twitter on Allie. Allie underscore West is my Twitter. And that's about that's, the only place you can find me.
0: That's A L I, correct? They're yeah. not gonna
1: find you Oh, right.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm a helper. <laughs> and who else do we have today this is Austin Walker you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore Walker. I also write uh, for giantbomb.com and I am the GM of friends at the table which you can find at FriendsattheTable.net. fantastic um, and I think
2: we name got name one Keith. more Oop. my name is Keith J. Carberry Oop. you can find me on Twitter at Keith J. Carberry uh, and you can find the let's plays that I do at runbutton.net or youtube.com slash runbutton also friends at the table stuff
0: and if you uh, wind up really enjoying Keith, uh, or if you recognize him, you should either go check out our uh, uh, Ashen Stars bonus feat that he was on, or you should remember. Oh yeah, I'm thinking of that Ashen Stars bonus feat he was
2: on. <laughs> and then <they'll> go <laughs> listen to it again if and you then want let's to. Let's do it again. Yeah, then come
0: back and listen to this one again.
3: We all love jackets. And then when you get to that same part in this episode again, go back and listen to that one again. Yeah, and And then then you just starve
2: to death. (laughs) And if you feel like you're just going back and forth listening to things because I'm in it, just go to run button. Yeah, (laughs) let's go watch some of that.
0: As long as you're on that trip.
2: So uh, all
0: three of you, as we've mentioned a few times now, are involved in Friends at the Table. What is Friends at the Table?
1: Uh, you know, Friends at the Table is an actual play podcast focused on critical world building, smart characterization, and fun interaction between good friends. Uh, that is our spiel that we that I deliver at the beginning of every episode. Um, it started as an excuse for me to play tabletop games with my friends and like still get to feel vaguely productive. Um, mm-hmm. It's part of Stream Friends, which, which we're all... To some degree or another, part of at this point. I'm very busy. I haven't been able to do much stream friend stuff. Keith was yeah. never officially a stream friend, <laughs> but definitely appeared and produced a ton of more content. And Allie is, of course, the most stream friend that there is. Um, the stream friend.
2: Yeah, sure. stream friend Allie. Uh, when people so, think stream friends, they think Allie every time. Yeah. Every time. The they should. Of
1: the trend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and I, you know, we, we kind of started uh, Friends of the Table, like I said, to, to, to play tabletop games, but also as a way to engage with ideas that we, that we thought were interesting. And to some degree, for, for me at least, and I think everyone was on board with this, to engage with the elements of genres that we didn't always love. Uh, to kind of critique them and work through them, uh, and in our first season we played a game of Dungeon World, which is a game by Adam Cobal and and uh, with something, Sage, Sage. Latora. Sage Latoura, thank you. Uh, and uh, we did that to kind of take a look at Tolkien-esque fantasy and kind of deconstruct it a little bit, and made a world that engaged with the racial politics of kind of stock fantasy settings uh, a little bit, and, and And to engage also with a little bit of of the politics of of post-apocalyptic fiction Um, and and to kind of look at something that could be a little bit more hopeful, uh, a little bit more interested in in identity and and people working through their their cultural identities. Uh, It's been pretty good. I've been a big fan of what my players have done. So thank you, Allie and Keith and everyone else who is not here right now.
0: So if you're a fan of feats and you want our subtext to be the mission statement, go check out Friends at the Table.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
0: that That's seems fantastic. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we are going to play a session of a Fate game called Edrigor for you. But first, as is our tradition and our want, we're going to have a bit of a uh, quick pod chat about a related issue. Uh, today's topic uh, is diversity, representation, and inclusiveness in games. So, uh... One reason... Well, what, the reason Edrigor is... Uh, uh, brings this to the forefront, is it is a uh, high fantasy game of people going around and and solving problems and and beating up evil monsters. However, it's from a unique cultural perspective. Uh, Its largest uh, influence is actually Native American uh, legends and religion uh, rather than the sort of homogenized D20 fantasy that got put in a list in the 70s and has been begotten to us ever since. Uh, Does anyone have some uh, initial thoughts to kick us off? Uh,
3: Yeah, this uh, playing Edregor was kind of my brainchild because I was like, man, there's a really serious issue about games that we haven't gotten a chance to discuss yet. And I think Edrigor is a really, really appropriate place because it, it does draw Native American... Uh, inspiration and mythology all that it comes from a unique place compared to like you were saying all other high fantasy stuff I think it's extremely appropriate to discuss this uh, ideas of diversity representation and inclusiveness in games
0: mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I was just looking up because I didn't want to get wrong specifically Lakota myth oh right. yeah
3: that's good to know
1: yeah it's a little bit broader than that, too, when it's like, you know, obviously Lakota myth is the is like the center of the, the, the cosmology It's the
0: first in, in the Influences totally. Appendix,
1: yeah. Uh, and it's definitely, the, co- the cosmology here definitely comes from that. But there is even a, a broader reach in terms of tribal representation, uh, looking at, at tribes not only in North America, but... Throughout throughout the Americas in general, you know, one of the tribes here very clearly has a kind of Central South American flavor to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Uh, Eastern Eastern Asia and the Middle East, um, which is really interesting. It's nice that those, you know, sometimes you play a a tabletop game and there will be like, oh, here is the here is the vaguely East Asian faction. They're all about honor and are mysterious and they're exotic. (laughs) Uh, and and that's it.
0: Whereas here, the Oriental Adventures module. Uh, exactly. Yeah. We're,
1: whereas here, every. That's the actual title, you
0: know, folks. All right, don't yell at me.
1: Yeah, that is literally <laughs> the D twenty the D twenty uh, uh, you know mystery Asia Asia magical Asia module. It's the worst. But like here, each of those versions of tribal culture. Um, isn't represented as exotic. They are represented as different from one another, and and in kind of representing uh, that tribalism or that that you know n- you know non Western fantasy culture can be different without being exotic is I think an accomplishment of the book. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a real through line of these cultures being people who are at their heart just people trying to deal with the. Uh, the, the different challenges presented by their geography and their cultural heritage and legacy, uh, which is what sets them apart from one another, instead of this inherent uh, uh, foreignness that, uh, of a sort of uh, uh, Orientalist worldview, you know?
1: Right, right. Um, that said, I, I also think Edragor uh, is interesting because I think it illustrates the. It illustrates how far you can reach without changing a core rule set uh, in, in attempting to, d- to represent diversity. Uh, and in both a kind of um, hopeful, productive way where it's like, oh, look, look how far you can go without shifting rules around. But also in an illustrative way of like, uh, actually, maybe you should shift some of these rules around. Um, maybe this doesn't represent things in a dramatically different way. Uh, in a kind of mechanical representational sense, um, and and I think we might get into that a little bit as we play. Um, mm-hmm. there are moments here, looking through this book, where, where I feel like some of the mystery that is core to the the kind of cosmology that it sets up is ground down behind tabletop role playing game like crunchiness, um, hmm. which is surprising for a fate system. You know, my interaction with fate is is limited, but like traditionally, it's always seemed very um straightforward and direct but here it gets it, i think in an attempt to represent to represent the complexity it ends up being a little hard to, to grasp yeah, uh, and not the, in like a the, meaningful way you know
3: yeah the mystery chapter the one where you use mystery as a what other games would call magic right. is, is probably the best example of that it has a lot of rules and setup and lots of stuff that ties into lots of of stuff to tie it into lots of different parts of the established setting which are definitely very effective for building the world but absolutely
1: make this is a one-shot and
0: we got lives to live we're running this streamlined
1: (laughs) (laughs) which is tricky too right because like uh, that's the thing that that kind of stressed me out you know we originally wanted to record this about a, a month ago and I just didn't have the time to dig into this book the way I felt it deserved to be dug into. And because the stakes were higher, like, uh, this wasn't a, a fun, you know, normative adventure where I could just say, oh, ah, whatever. Like, there it's aren't. A world jaunt. Right, exactly. Like, this was a thing that someone put a lot of effort into to try to address a question of diversity and representation. And so to kind of fake it would have been to risk falling into the traps of of uh trope and stereotype right like right. i didn't want to come on last month and and fall into the like oh this is what i guess native american people sound like <laughs> problems right which like is a real it's a real risk uh mm-hmm. you know with a bunch of non-native folk playing a game like this um and so i'm glad we i'm glad we took a month so that i could actually read this book <laughs>
0: mm-hmm
3: I want to shift over a little bit into more general discussion now. Uh, When I was researching for this pod chat, there was one article I found that was really, really good. It wasn't about this topic directly but it was about two or it was about one group in particular that I think is very, very related to it. Um, This is an article from Shut Up and Sit Down, which is a blog podcast that kind of does a little bit of what Feats does. They try to bring lesser known games into uh, just give them a lot more attention, you know. And this was an article they ran interviewing people on Different Play, which is a Patreon campaign that attempts to connect editors with people creating games as kind of mentorship program, specifically to support diverse games. Like, when you submit, the games that they support are intentionally by diverse people or addressing diverse subjects, all that kind of thing. So I think they're a very... Very good group. There's going to be links to check them out. So, the article... <clears throat> excuse me. The article interview got a lot into why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, well, what they ended up talking a lot about was called, the basically, the diversity of ideas. And before we talk about this too much, I want to note that this is absolutely not the main reason diversity matters... Like This this is kind of just like a cool, fun side effect to having diversity in a creative system. But that shouldn't be the goal. Diversity should be the goal because everybody should be included. Everybody should be represented. Everybody has that right to be in any given creative group. And the diversity of ideas is just a fun side effect that comes of that. Yeah, yeah. So that said, diversity of ideas is the idea that when you have people from diverse backgrounds their ideas are going to be very very different from the established norm mm-hmm. so yeah stuff like Edricor, for example is going to be both intentionally putting a focus on d- representation and inclusiveness of other cultures and because uh, the writer himself Alan Turner comes from that background he has a much better idea of how to do that well
0: Right. that's right. the yeah.
3: diversity of ideas there
0: uh, and I think a, a cottage industry like tabletop gaming has a unique opportunity because there's very little barrier to enter like even the biggest industry players cannot fill an office with employees like <laughs> some that's of your mid tiers yeah. are just a payroll of three people and some of their favorite freelancers like, Yeah, that, that's the industry we're talking about although at the same time uh, that means it's harder... While there's low barriers to entry, to, to making a product, getting your getting eyeballs on your product is a different matter. Uh, so that's where things like uh, uh, different play, I, I, they have a great utility in this debate, because how are you going to see anything in this industry if it's not made by the two or three big companies? <laughs> Like they the, even with the small difference between a large and small player, the the large players still grab a lot of the eyeballs. Like, look at any uh, RPG award that's determined by community vote. It's
1: right all those names. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting space. I think for four larger conversations in the culture about mm-hmm. identity right now, for a lot of reasons, um, and and one of them is is that I think this is what the shut up and sit down article kind of pushes at, is that game design is a space that, not that other mediums don't have media don't have this, but uh, where there has been such an emphasis on a single normative uh, structure for so long, even inside of games that. That appear like they might have difference. Um, so, like if you take a, if you take a look at something like in the nineties, uh, the difference between nineties and two thousands, like uh, D and D third or three point five, versus something like Vampire the Masquerade, which are kind of two titans of that era. Where like oh, ostensibly one of these games is about is about killing monsters and collecting gold and getting powerful, and the other one is is about uh, you know social climbing and and you know uh, manipulation. But, like, as a game, Vampire the Masquerade is still basically about getting more powerful, um, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's still a game that focuses on, like, the cool shit you can do because you've killed enough things. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's, you know, obviously being very reductive there, and you know, I would need a much larger platform to, to issue my full critique of Vampire <laughs> the Masquerade, a game I loved, uh, but now when you look at games like uh, Monster Hearts, uh, or or the quiet year um, or what is that mixtape game called that I can't remember that's also by uh, Avery Ribbon Drive Ribbon Drive No
0: that's not, not right
1: Yeah Isn't it is It, it is okay, so Maybe yeah. that's not I by Avery is. is that not by Avery It is It oh, is Okay Yeah Ribbon Drive is right
0: um, Oh I I got myself confused because I thought I said Vid Ribbon
1: which is oh. completely different <laughs> That's different um, But those are things that that wildly undercut the notion of what a role-playing game is mm-hmm. uh, and represent not just like different uh, identitarian perspectives, right? We're not just talking about like, oh, Ribbon Drive is a game that comes from Avery's unique perspective because it represents, you know, the queer, you know, uh, a queer perspective or something like that. It represents like, oh, we can have games that engage with things other than, than um, linear power, Uh, progression, right? Yeah, Uh, And it can still be about change and transformation, and it can still be about uh, uh, obstacles and overcoming them. It can even still be about fighting with magical powers, right? Like It still can be about monsters, like in Monster Hearts, right? But it it can actually try to mechanically represent the the elements, the the thematic elements that it wants to tackle.
3: Yeah. Like, there was another little article by League of Game Makers that talked about design by default, which is kind of the nemesis of diversity of ideas. It's like the idea that
0: <laughs> so you can, you've got to un- you have can, elves, and you yeah, can have exactly. a little bit of wiggle room in what an elf is, but you've yeah. got to have you money. have,
3: unconsciously or not, whatever kind of preconceptions that you have as you design a game are going to end up in the game, and I think the best example they had was suggesting that d d Pathfinder and other D20 games like they build themselves as games where your characters can do everything, anything. But right. then they provide sixty chapters about combat and one chapter about social interaction. So <laughs> just reading that, players are like, "Well, I can do anything with this sword."
1: And <laughs> <laughs> right. I could talk to the sword. There's rules for that. I can talk to, to the sword. The talking sword than talking people. Yes,
3: they probably are.
1: Yeah. <laughs> which is which is fine if talk so about long a deep as, cut. <laughs> oh, uh, I think that's fine too. If you are kind of more upfront about it, right? Like,
3: yeah, that's you, yeah.
1: You look at something like Exalted, right? Which is like, oh, this is a game about super powerful beings being super powerful. The end. No one is talk, talking about that as being a universal setting, right? Yeah. Once right.
3: you can recognize it and kind of own it, you can yeah. definitely take it up. <laughs> take it up a few notches to like noblis a game that right. we're also playing on planning on playing eventually wh- where you play as just the controller of a concept all of it which is kind of just yeah you see all these other cool games D. you can become a god at the end if you want well, let's just start there and see what happens. It's yeah. just go ahead. You can become
0: the god of love or the god of paperclips. It doesn't matter. I, I wonder. I have to wonder if Nobles
3: started as a game where the goal was to gain that power, and then once they realized that they were unconsciously making that the goal, they just took that and said, "Okay, this is the goal." But let's just go ahead and make it the start instead and see what happens.
0: Jenna Moran, also someone who beats to their own drum, and. Uh, the, the landscape is better off for it. Yeah, totally. So, there you go. If, you're, if you
3: fear that you're designing by default, you could just take some self-examination, some self-critique, and try to bring some more of your own personal, unique experiences into it. Try to bring what you learn from examining what you might have unconsciously brought into it before. You'll end yeah. up with something a lot more unique.
1: Also shout out to Jennifer Mor- uh, Rands uh, Chubos Marvelous Wish Granting oh, RPG yeah. which is the next thing I really want to play at some point. Oh that's... hey,
3: let's fight over that.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I,
1: I I might I might just do it like not on a podcast. That's, I kind of want to That's it where
0: uh, our noblest cam- uh, campaign idea came from. Like we want to play Chubos. Let's play Noblest first just to really get into it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, For people who don't know, this is this is the this is the, the line on Chibos Marvelous Wish Granting RPG. Uh, the Chubo's Marvelous Wish Granting Engine RPG is a new diceless RPG from Jenna Katerin Moran, author of well-known noblest blah blah blah. It's a progressive warm-hearted game that focuses on adventure and slice-of-life stories. Think uh, Laputa, Castle in the Sky, or Kiki's Delivery Service, but also western stuff like Friendship is Magic, Harry Potter, and Adventure Time. It's pretty good. It's pretty that cool. That
2: sounds go good. <laughs>
1: There's like really interesting stuff with genre there. Um, and again, it's a, it's a really interesting example of someone who wants to pair genre with, um, with mechanics, right? Or theme with mechanics. Where, you know, if you have a game that is set in, in the kind of gothic portion of the world and you're playing a warrior, uh, then your character's arc might be about like investigation in the dark corridors of a castle. Whereas if you're playing a warrior in a kind of pastoral setting that it might be like hanging out, you know, and, and listening to an old, uh, you know, an old retired knight talk about his adventures or her adventures on, on the battlefield. Um, which is like a different genre there and, and fulfilling those things gets you kind of uh, uh, points to progress and, and to affect the world in different ways, stuff like that. Um, and I just, I don't know, the thing that I love the most about games is that interaction between theme and mechanic uh, and... That is a very powerful interaction that can be used to to engage with different uh, aspects of diversity and different aspects of, of living in the world. And it's so good to see people uh, kind of en masse leaning into that ability over the last, like, decade. Uh,
0: another way you can sort of get a handle on that is, uh, have you heard of Golden Sky Stories? Are you
1: familiar? I don't... Think so. Golden Sky familiar. Stories
0: has a similar sort of theme to, to Chubo's. It's a uh, Japanese RPG. We played it on the show. Uh, it was translated recently oh, to English. It's the cute, and game. it is. Yes. it is. You, you uh, get the currency you use to you know activate your in-game powers by doing cute things and making your fellow players smile, and then they just like slide you a token because that's you were real,
1: cute. That's the best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I like, also like that a whole bunch. I like games that are willing to like understand that right. the play doesn't only exist on the tabletop. right? Yeah,
0: and the play
3: also doesn't have to be 100% solid mechanical. Hey, that's not fair. You have three tokens and I've only gotten two. Exactly. Get cuter. Get cuter. Oh. <laughs> Yo, I was a fish and I was still cute enough. What's wrong with you, bud?
0: <laughs> but uh, the point I want to bring that around to is that... Uh, a great way to bring in diversity uh, uh, of style, diversity uh, of mechanics at least to your home table, is to look outside of the, the US Western game library mm-hmm. and see what's being translated from Japan, what's coming from uh, Brazil. It has a huge uh, base of people who play games, but I can't think of any they've actually produced and brought over huh. to the US, but I... There's got to be some, there's so many people in Brazil playing games. Some of them have to get bit by the design bug somewhere. Uh, so and then with uh, the, the unique cultural perspective of say uh, a, a Japanese game, you not only get cute slice of life things like uh, Golden Sky Stories or uh, Ryutama. A little less cute, uh, but still very sweet and non-violent. And then there's something like Double Cross, which is the super grim superhero anime game. Where, in order to power up, your loved ones have to be in danger or killed. Cool. Good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I think
3: that diversity in design, it's at the design level. I've always felt like there's kind of three levels to necessary diversity. There's like the creator level, where a diverse range of creators is absolutely necessary. There's the creation level, where the things they make should be diverse, which will probably happen automatically if the creators are diverse. And there's the player level, where they are also diverse. And I think there's definitely a domino effect where one definitely affects the other, too. Where if a, a diverse creation... Will definitely encourage players to think about things in a new way and possibly overcome their perhaps their intention to just play a typical elf because they think they have to, and instead they find themselves playing Chubo's marvelous wish granting engine. And they're like, Oh, I can kind of play like myself, like I was when I was a kid. I wasn't really much of Legolas at all, and that kind of thing. <laughs> so, I think those are. There, there might be others. This is definitely just my own weird theory. But, like, I think those three main sectors are right equally and, important uh, and supportive of each other. of course, part diversity. of that
0: is uh, a duty on people to make everyone welcome at their tables.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. We had a whole pod chat about this because that's such a, such a good issue. So that's going to be linked in the description. It's... You bet your bonnet.
0: Uh, and that was for... That was
3: for Night Witches. That was, night that night was witches. gaming yeah. with difficult issues. Oh god,
0: Night Witches was so much fun.
3: Hey,
2: yeah.
3: how do you feel about witches? How about planes? <laughs> Go listen to Six
1: Feet Under Night Witches.
2: <laughs> I listened to it and it was great.
1: I want to play that game pretty bad too. I only almost played that. So right now I'm also in a, um, a Burning Wheel game on... Mm-hmm. Twitch on Roll 20s official Twitch channel that Adam Cobal is GMing, uh, and we almost played Night Witches instead, and I would have liked that a bunch. Not that I'm disliking Burning Wheel at all, but I would have really loved to play that Night Witches game. I'm gonna tell him that you forgot Sage Latour's name. That's that's fine. Don't okay. Just, just <laughs> he won't mind. I remember his name. That's all that matters.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's it's
3: kind of. You know, it kind of works to just say, hey, inclusiveness, real important. So important, here's this whole other thing. And that's like two of our three main topics done. Bam. <laughs> that's how you speedrun podchats. Welcome to esports <laughs> and podcasting. So now our third topic is representation. And I th- there's a really interesting... Oh, I'll get to that. But I think my favorite story that everybody might know at this some version of at this point about representation being important is like... Um, a child seeing a character or seeing all the different action figures in a store and thinking that they can't be a superhero because they don't see an action figure that reminds them of themselves. Mm-hmm. That's probably a when pretty... Or really
2: there's whole other reasons why they can't be a superhero? <laughs>
0: Radiation doesn't work that way.
2: Oh no. know.
0: Look. Behave. Okay.
3: <laughs> so the interesting... So, That's an argument for having a wide, diverse range of characters when you make stuff. Which is definitely really important, but it's also super important that you don't, like, rely on your preconceptions and stereotypes about them. Because then, that's just awful. That can get really awful really quick if you just rely on your own stereotypes without doing any research. Yeah. And the other other big arguments that I've heard against that is that there's kind of the fear that if you have a non-diverse range of creators creating a diverse range of creations and then saying, oh, that's good. We don't need to have any... We don't need to do anything else. We don't need a diverse range of creators. Then that still leaves out every creator like Alan Turner, the creator of Edrigor. Right. Obviously leaves them out. It's kind of like a that's not the end point, is basically what I'm saying. The end point is not to have a diverse range of fictional characters. It's to ensure that everybody feels comfortable in the hobby, fictionally and non-fictionally. That's why representation is important.
1: Yeah, and those and, things cascade, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so.
0: I think that these points are being pushed to some degree or other on every level in gaming right now, which is great. Yeah, uh, it'd be nice if they were pushed harder and faster and some people who don't like it would shut up.
3: Yeah, but I have that a, doesn't
0: change the fact that there is progress being made.
3: I have a really uh, good quote about that that I wanted to conclude with. But I'll just well, say it now instead. Okay, so cool. I have this quote. It's from <laughs> Summer Lowen's article about the Pocket Gems character wall, which will also be linked in the pod chat description. What, what is
0: the Pocket Gems character
3: wall? Uh, Pocket Gems is a studio and their character wall is a bunch of photos of different characters and statements below them describing them that intentionally contradict what your stereotypical impression of that character might be. Like, I believe okay. one of them is a unicorn that has, like, I am Death Incarnate written below it or something like that. Just that kind of thing <laughs> of, like, obviously just trying to in- make sure that people understand that when you see a character, it does not mean that your first reactions to a character are... What the character will be, so that's another important form of diversity. Uh, but anyway, uh, the art, the quote I really like is: "Diversity is one area where Silicon Valley's move fast, break things sentiment is noticeably absent."
1: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> funny, funny how that worked out. It's funny that. I I so, can see yeah. why you wanted to say that for the end because now like what, what's the point <laughs> of saying anything? Bam! Yeah. Wind out of sails. Uh- <laughs> I mean that's it. It's a reminder that we can't rely on profit motive to bring us diversity or to bring us progress in general, right? Like yeah. um, the system that we exist in is not is not uh, apolitical. It it has preferences. Um, one such preference is the you know lack of risk and appeal to an already established audience um uh, a lack of, of access for many people to get the training they need to provide their own stories like it's it's a deep 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 uh set of reasons for why you know, capital is is uninterested in investing in diversity, especially in niche spaces like tabletop gaming. Um, so, you know, it's it's it should be not only unsurprising, but but more than that, it should be a reminder that to actually impact this space, it, it does require work. Um, now we should we should do our best to do that work when we can. Absolutely, uh,
0: I I think the note about uh, preference for the familiar. Is especially strong in the RPG space mm-hmm. because, like, we, we've mentioned a fair number of Apocalypse World-derived uh, games in this, uh, like Night, which is like Monster Hearts, because every single episode we mentioned Monster Hearts. Uh, <laughs> but the, the and Apocalypse World that engine was just a, a revolutionary bit of game design technology that's taken off for a life of its own. But the most popular and most financially successful is yep. the one that was used to replicate what D and D felt like when you were twelve.
1: Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, which isn't to take away from it, but it is a reminder, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you it's know. Yeah.
3: it's really easy to like think I just want to play a nice basic tabletop game. I guess I'll go into the fantasy section. Like, it's really easy to fall yep. into the. This is the baseline. Which is really common in all sorts of just just be real cautious whenever you find yourself thinking this is the baseline right. about pretty much yeah. anything because odds are I'm sorry but you're probably wrong.
1: Or like you know, yeah yeah well, because like what is the baseline here like other yeah, than absolutely. just creative collaborative creative expression you know and mm-hmm. even that is is a sliding scale in in the t- in terms of collaboration um, but like the thing too is is. I don't think anyone here wants to take your fantasy games away from you, right? Like, <laughs> we all like elves, man. We all... Yeah, or orcs. Yeah. We all like elves um, and or orcs. Look, we all want to be Legolas, okay? Right. But... <laughs> I brought but up Legolas
3: like, twice in this podcast. That's how you know it's <laughs> true.
1: <laughs> it is true. Um, but there is, a, there is a way to recognize and interrogate your, your own desire um that is that is valuable and can be fun you know I, like i said like that's kind of the heart of what we were trying to do with the first season of Friends at the table you know like why is it that my first ever uh D character was uh an elf who fought for kobold rights what was happening in my brain there you know because <laughs> let me tell you it was some shit uh so so you know like what's you know it, it's it's not it's not to say like oh all instances of the these are, are bad or anything like that, but it is, it is worth investigating um, and thinking about as you go through your day, you know?
0: Okay. Uh, let's see. Oh, on that note, uh, there are some examples of people going back to that route and bringing out something unique from it. Uh, a while ago, uh, we featured Inverse World on the show, which is a new setting for Dungeon World. Takes all your familiar Dungeon World stuff and brings it into a hollow earth with fish people sailing cloud ships because that's awesome and uh, coming up soon, kickstarting now as we record, is Fellowship, which is Tolkienian fantasy, but ridiculously customizable Uh, Tolkienian in that every player is a champion uh, that represents their people that band together to cast out an evil overlord but all of the details, you f- get to fill in a whole lot of blanks. Like maybe your orcs are a noble fungal race, or maybe they are uh, feminist lava princesses. Like that's all in the playbooks. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh, I'd also like to so shout out lava princess in the playbook. Lava princess.
0: Uh, I think so. Would you like to see a picture of the lava princess?
2: <laughs> Obviously.
1: But yeah. My whole life, it's all I've ever wanted.
2: But if I just type mm. Lava Princess into Google? <laughs> you know what? It's just going to be some Adventure Time shit. I'm going to find my that Adventure Time is. character. Of course.
1: There's the Kickstarter <laughs> page. And it's this. in order. It's some Adventure Time shit. Like, for a while, it's Adventure Time shit. And then, and then it's someone's deviant art drawing that looks like a Winx character, maybe? Is this Winx? <laughs> It
2: looks like wigs, yeah. Oh, this, <laughs> this lady's, uh, the bottom half of her is a crab. Oh, no, she's sitting on a crab. Never mind. Uh, and then there's. Oh, is yeah, that yeah my that's, the,
0: that's the merfolk option for elves.
2: Ah, okay. okay. So yeah. look at that picture and imagine if instead of a mer person, it was uh, a lady whose bottom half was an entire crab. <laughs> <laughs> you can do
0: that in Fellowship. This is just an artist's interpretation of some of the many elves you can be.
2: Nice. This lava princess is way better than I was imagining.
1: Yeah, the lava <laughs> princess. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Mm.
3: Shoutouts to the lava princess. <laughs> Thanks for not being a standup. There's also that down.
2: real sleepy mushroom kid.
1: Shoutouts <laughs> to the mushroom orc. True. Same. <laughs> uh, I also want to shout out uh, Jonathan Walton's Planar Codex for Dungeon World. Uh, I don't know if anyone's familiar with that here. Um, it's it kind of positions itself as like a Planescape um, uh, kind of uh, uh, supplement, but it, it's kind of not that at all uh, or it is, but like the thing that it wants to take from settings like Planescape uh, is the diversity. Um, and so it, it adds to the GM's uh, agendas and principles um, in important and interesting ways. Um, so like for instance, the, it adds an agenda, which is reflect the variety of real life. Um, the principles include things like give everyone personhood. Rat folk, giant spiders, demons, etc. are all just people trying to get their needs and desires met just like anyone else. Nobody is a faceless monster that can be murdered without consequence. That does not mean that everyone is friendly. Life is hard, and those who are desperate or malicious may stab you as soon as look at you. But they have their reasons noble, ignoble, or both. Um, and then like even like the way that the, moves, the, the GM moves work, it can be things like... Overturn the status quo, uh, or or soft power gets hard. Where it's like, oh, the things that you thought were kind of flexible suddenly become not flexible, uh, and and power has material cost. You know, um, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic supplement. It's very little. It's like a little, you know, it almost looks like um like a a little um. I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for. It's like almost like a pamphlet, right? It's pamphlet sized. Uh, it's like very tiny. It's like smaller than a cell phone. Uh, but I, I've looked to it a couple of times as as guide for, for the way I run Friends at the Table. Uh, and it's, like, pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. So so check that out. It's called the Planarch Codex. So uh, I guess since
0: we're wrapping up, does anyone... Let, let's go around the table and uh, with... Because we're all friends here. Eh? Eh?
1: Okay. I get it. I get it.
0: <laughs> and uh, share one thing we think uh, really foreground... Uh, uh, does... The sort of thing we're talking about, well, uh, in one aspect or another. And feel free to double dip unless you want it to uh, keep that codex as your. Uh,
2: That's mine. Example. I'm going to keep That's that it. as mine. Sure. All right, cool. I'm okay. opting to go not first.
0: <laughs> first is already taken, but okay, I'll go. Uh, I think that uh, we, we've already mentioned a great number. Uh, I'm going to go back to Night Witches. Because I think it's powerful to have a historical game that uh, points out that the, the narratives of the uh, uh, masculine warfighter are not uh, they, they don't have a monopoly on what actually happened in war. And being able to bring that forward is uh, is a fun take on a, inclusiveness. Not just inclusiveness in fantasy, but in uh, uh Working against the erasure of actual inclusiveness in history. So, bam, drop the mic on that one. What's up? <laughs> I don't know. What if
3: I? Is it too negative if I say one that doesn't exist yet?
2: Go yes. for it. Or how no, about I just?
3: How about I just the phrase negative. it? How about I just phrase this as, "Hey, I'm looking for suggestions <laughs> as to tabletop games I could play that promote diversity of." Gender, sexual, romantic orientation—that explore that space. Don't say monster hearts. I can hear it. I can hear you thinking it. Don't say it. <laughs> I, I
2: think, think everyone H- knows that you guys like monster <laughs> hearts.
3: Never heard of it. Um,
2: <laughs>
3: I would really like recommendations as to that because I've been thinking here. Like Night Witches did get into it some, and that was good, but it was really just one type of uh, non-heteronormativity between women. You know. And I'd really like a game that can explore that as well as all other spaces.
1: Really. How much do you know about Nordic LARPing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a joke, but I'm like super dead serious though. Tell me about Nordic LARPing. Nordic LARP is like a is like the hot shit right now in in kind of the the. Or you know, it, here's the thing: it was last year. Maybe it's already not the hot shit. Uh, but but in this kind <laughs> of like, experimental, kind of LARP is really I think there's some Nordic LARPs that started last year and are still going. So <laughs> that's I'm likely like, true. true. Um, that like honestly likely is likely true. Uh, here's a story: a friend of mine recently told me about their about their uh, a Nordic larp that they played in, in which uh, the story was the setup for it was. It was five friends, and one of them was dying of cancer. And you play through it once. You play through the session once. There's characters with backgrounds, and like uh, there's some sort of you know uh, conflict resolution mechanic and stuff like that. Uh, you play through it once as if all of the characters have no idea that their friend is dying of cancer, and then you play through it again with them knowing that they are. Um, and like that's like a, a you know an afternoon, a really hard afternoon game. Um, the People who are working in that space, in which again is called Nordic LARP, but is is broader than the the nordic geographical location uh is invest is all about investigating interpersonal communication and and relationships um and has kind of complicated interesting uh variations on on kind of romantic interactions um so it's worth looking into that stuff again okay mostly played in person but i bet you there's some stuff that you could do for this show
3: That does sound really good, but when I put the link in the description, I'm going to have to say, Nordic LARP, no really. Click this. Yep.
1: (laughs) Oh, I read that! (laughs) Yeah. Oh, right.
2: Forgot about that.
1: (laughs)
3: Well, I believe Keith called not first.
2: I did call not first. don't feel
0: limited to just uh, tabletop stuff. I mean, if you can think of any game space at all or maybe some, something outside games
2: oh well, that's the thing I'm like such a boring guy I don't do anything but everything that I've ever done in my entire life is recorded it <laughs> on the internet so you guys <laughs> see it. it's like all available alright so Keith's 17. answer is KOTOR
0: 2 moving
2: on my KOTOR 2. That's a good
1: answer, <laughs> Here's the a good that answer. actually is Here's the thing, KOTOR 2 is the secret best game of we're, all time. We're, we're doing the a... secret
2: best game, I've been saying it for like six years!
1: It's true, I published an article this year that said, listen, real talk, favorite game of all time, KOTOR 2, let's go.
2: Market. I have four. I have five and a half years on Austin for KOTOR 2 best game. Sure.
1: We're doing a
3: real weird, something is emerging here, where all, where all our answers are simultaneously jokes and deadly serious.
1: 100% serious. <laughs> Would you uh, like to go with... Allie, do you have uh, a recommendation t- as well?
2: Um, I've been trying to think of one and nothing is coming to mind. I, um...
1: The the Friends at the Table stuff has been, like, my first interaction with tabletop games. So, I don't have a ton of knowledge of that space.
2: It also, it's it's telling how difficult it is to think of any. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. the... We can't get five solid recommendations. One of them we got one Nordic LARP and one Kotor 2. Nordic <laughs> LARP is more serious. Okay, fine, but... Monster Hearts. Yeah. God damn it. I'm preparing to play Monster Hearts right now and my answer is Monster Hearts.
3: Okay, Monster Hearts. Everybody wanna
0: just change your answer to Monster Hearts?
1: Monster Hearts is great because it has two. a good
0: dial between like a serious exploration of how weird and awkward and scary teenage sexuality is. And, like, looking back on those years, I was like, man, that was fucked up. And also, <laughs> you can just dial it to be the goofiest fucking shit in your life. <laughs> so, looking back at my score sheet, I have
3: three for Monster Hearts and two for Monster Hearts with a Star Wars droid playbook.
2: <laughs> that all right. I think That's a thing. wait. Hold on. I'll, yeah, I <laughs> right? will play Monster Hearts as okay, a droid. Okay,
1: that's place. five for Monster Hearts with a droid. I do want to... I do want to say, I've been thinking about running, when the new Star Wars movies come out, The Sprawl, which is a cyberpunk uh, apocalypse world pack, um, Mm -hmm. set on Coruscant, so (gasps) Uh, I need to...
3: Okay, but all your players need to pick out, without reading it or looking up any information... Yes. Without looking up any information about it, all your players need to bring in a, a different expanded universe novel with the worst name... The worst name that they can find, and then yes. their yes. person—I might have char- read them all. Their character's <laughs> canon has to be based on that, and it's going right. to be just it's... like um, Glorantha, where it doesn't matter if things contradict each other because they happened in the before time.
1: Yep, totally. is okay. also oh, that We should Pavin,
2: probably Great,
1: good. I'm glad you just had that on hand, Keith.
2: <laughs> J- Jacks Pavin, son of Lord Pavin. We have to stop this.
3: (laughs) Okay. I'm going to wrap this up. How about... So, this has been our discussion on diversity, representation, and inclusiveness in games. But as you may have noticed, it kind of turned into a huge list of recommended games for you to play. So, what I want you, the listener, to do is pick one of these games that sounds most interesting. And I want you to take the tenets of creating an inclusive space, a diverse space when you play it to heart... Bring in a few of your closest friends, and just write in and let us know how it goes. Let us know how you... That's you're... right, you
0: got homework! What now?
3: <laughs> I will be grading. It's I know how many people listen to the podcast. I know how many people back the Patreon. I know you. <laughs> you will fail. <laughs> good night, everybody.
1: Jack's pavon has a good coat.